Put on a happy face. This is the Focus Group. It's the savvy side of 9 to 5. Listen. Bueller. 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 Laugh. <laughs> and learn. Negotiation. This is what you do in business. This is the Focus Group with Tim Bennett. S-T-A-U-N-C-H. And John Nash. Keep your clothes looking neat and clean. We're all business. Except when we're not. Yes, yes. Put on a happy face. This is Tim Bennett here, as always, with my good friend and co-host, Mr. John T. Nash. Be sure to find us here every Wednesday at 1 p.m. East through YouTube and Facebook under our social handles, which are or which is Focus Group Radio. And for all you time shifters, you can find us anytime on multiple audio and video platforms through our website, which is focusgroupradio.com. And that includes our newest partner, the iHub Network, out of beautiful Palm Springs, one of our favorite cities, John. You know, I think moms. I think we said on a different show that I we had actually thought of buying a home there and thought, hey, we could just fly whenever we want. And this is you <laughs> could tell how long ago that was, right? Because we were thinking of airplanes as taxis, but I love Palm Springs. I love the whole area. Kind of like an Uber. Back in the day, I remember before. Gosh, well, this is probably last century, of course, but even before um, it became a hot destination. And uh, there were lots of people converting some of the drive-up motels into uh, to kind of funky places to stay. I remember saying, God, this would be really great, ripe, ripe for a makeover. Of course, we missed that. <laughs> well, lots of people. If you're new to the show, John and I are constantly – things we missed, right, John? That's things another we thing missed. we missed. Right? Yeah, we, we, we missed the – although I will say one of our favorite um, – you were doing a photo shoot for the Tribeca. And I learned a few things that weekend, and we met up in Palm Springs, and I – the Century, I don't think it's around anymore. What is Century it? Palms, the Century yeah. Palms. It was one of those that palms dead. classic 50s-style uh, motels around the pool. And your car had something called, it was a peel-off paint job because it was for photo shoots. But what was the name of that thing again? Peel Coat? Yeah, it, yeah. It was like a vinyl thing that they put on just for photo shoots, and you, had, right. you drove up. We met these guys from Boston who hung around the pool with us, we could not stop laughing all weekend. Our faces hurt so much because these, these guys were utterly hilarious. Everything that happened with them. We, we still, to this day, talk about it. So the Springs, yes, IHUB Network, that would have been, welcome. That, that would have been one of the trips to have kept a journal because uh, <laughs> they were they were quite the characters. Hey, so for those of you that are new to the new to the focus group, even if you are uh, you found us through some of the other uh, podcast links or show links, we uh, the show's divided into two sections. We After John and I do our catch-up, our weekly catch-up, we do a segment called Caught My Eye, where John and I each pick a news story. Then we share some movies that uh, we like through one of our partners at Deep Discount. We take a break. Then we come back and share um, either a business or a career or uh, some other news item that's related to uh, to career or sometimes health in a segment called Shop Talk. And then we're changing things up a little bit this year, and we're going to move our business birthday to the end of the show. And uh, we like to say we are the only show in the universe that we know of yes yeah. well is there is there another show that does a business birthday uh, if there no. isn't we don't know yeah it. and until we find intelligent life on another planet we are in fact per, we could legally say we are the be- we we are the only show in the universe that does business birthdays so <laughs> put that stake in the ground so here we are um uh you know inauguration week right um hopefully all is going to go well and I'm curious to see what Biden does in the first five days. I've read that there's going to be a flurry of executive orders to literally do exactly what the previous president did to Obama's legacy, right? Yeah. 
I mean, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. <laughs> you could tell by the way we're like, yeah. It's amazing that we made it to January, you know, 20th or the week of the 20th, considering from November 3rd onwards, it has just been one Wow, what a car ride. This 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 trumps any kind of Six Flags roller coaster in my opinion, right? Yeah, and and um you know, I think all of us are exhausted and and um and not the country that any of us really expected or I think can be proud of in many regards. I I I am I am I'm I'm disappointed. I guess, well, I said in a, a previous conversation or even on one of our previous broadcasts we turned on the BBC recently in the car just to get the you know the European perspective and and over in the United States the nation's capital was breached by rioters carrying flag I mean and when you hear it come from a different uh, country and they're just kind of like reporting on the news it sounds like what are we sounds like Belarus <laughs> sounds like something to hear in Belarus mm-hmm. or uh, you know Uzbekistan or something and yeah we'd be like oh those poor people can't control them you know can't control the population or don't understand democracy and so of course we really have no standing to talk about uh talk about our will and our our uh, morality but we'll see what happens it's uh hopefully people will be held accountable I think anyone who breached the capital should get 20 years minimum and uh, or quite frankly I think they should go to Guantanamo Oh, that's harsh. I'll put them down there. That's harsh. What's that? That's very Why harsh. Is that harsh. I would just put some of them in a modern clothing store and uh, say, okay, you know, camo has been replaced by corduroy. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Let's keep it light. Let's keep it light for everybody. Yeah. yeah. So did you, uh, have you, have you, um, oh, I, I know what I wanted to tell you. I started watching something, which it's very kind of inside New York, I guess, on Netflix. It was. Um, Fran Leibowitz. With, Yes. Have you started watching that? <laughs> yes. We've only watched a few because we realized that once we watch it, we've watched it. So we've decided to to, you know, play them out slowly. But I find them to be hilarious. And it's incredibly New York. It's very inside New York. New York prior to uh COVID nineteen, I would say. So but it's a good show. I like it so far. And she's very much a New York fixture, isn't she? Well, she's and so for those who don't know Fran Leibowitz, she's and she used to be a circuit. She used to be on the the late night show circuit. So she would be on Letterman or she would be on. Well, I think it was really only Letterman, right? She didn't go on too many, too many of the late night shows. I'm not so sure she would have really done well on on the Tonight Show, for instance. Maybe she did go on it, but I. She's a lesbian. She's a humorist. Um, very smart, right? Mm-hmm. But. It, it, it reminds me of Seinfeld, which did not initially sell well outside of probably the Northeast well, in terms of know. some of that humor. Yeah. You're kind of implying that you got to be in the know, meaning you got to be in that kind of, yeah. Well, to understand what she's saying, I was, so she has no cell phone. She has no computer. She does lots of observations about walking around New York. I was laughing because a lot of her complaints were of yours. You don't go to Times Square if you live in Manhattan. I mean, I was, you watch that whole thing. I'm like, oh my God, she's, she's channeling John because that was one of your complaints. You don't go down there. You avoid it at all, at, at all, at all costs. And I, but I wondered, how does she make her money? Mm. Well, writer, I, I know that she's done a lot of writing and, and she does, does do shows. So she does make some from the shows, but uh, it's a good question, actually. Because I typed in her net worth. What do you think her net worth was? Now, this is, of course, according to... Oh, I, I'm going to guess, like, you know, $4 million or something like that. Well, you're exactly right. Her net worth, it said she was worth $4 million. And I thought, oh. well, how did she get $4 million? And they said, you know, some of her books and writings. And, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, she could live probably on that in Manhattan. But she 
She doesn't appear to be working too hard. Oh, she's a good saver. So <laughs> she's seventy years old. Yeah, and smoker. So anyway, still smokes. Okay, yeah. so you're so you're ahead of me. Yeah, we're ahead. we're not ahead, but we're we're on the same page. All right. So <laughs> so what what caught your eye this week? What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. Okay, mine is, as my mom would say, it's tinky poo poo bum bum time. Uh oh. Um, it comes to us from Japan, and uh, the headline reads: A man ate a toothpick, and it was stuck in his butt for months. Doctors in Japan say a man's accidental ingestion of a toothpick left him dealing with months of pain in his back leg, his back and leg, sorry, all caused by said toothpick getting stuck in his rectum. The strange medical tale was detailed um, by case reporting, and the guy, 67 years old, uh, and he first reached out for help when he had been experiencing two months of pain along his right buttock and thigh. MRI scans suggested that the source of this pain was stenosis around the lower back, a condition where the spaces within our spine begin to narrow. This narrowing can then pinch the surrounding nerves, leading to painful or numbing sensations. Though stenosis can be managed conservatively with drugs and physical therapy, the doctors operated to surgerize. When they performed a CT scan on the man just before the operation, though, they found a surprise in his rectum, a 7-centimeter-long rod, eventually determined to be a toothpick that the man had accidentally swallowed. Six days after the find, the man's pain in his right leg quickly got worse, prompting doctors to remove the toothpick from his hiding place, its hiding place, as soon as possible. Thankfully, after they did, the pain went away and hasn't come back since. Um, so the curiosity point for me is how did the toothpick, right, get into, you know, right? Well, did he chew? This is what I'm wondering. I'm, I'm, so that was my question to you: Is how the heck did he swallow a toothpick? Did he? Because if you're chewing, I don't know. Unless it, he thought it was a fish bone. This to me. Do you know how many things it had to go through? Do you know how many things it had to do to get down and out? <laughs> well, so here's the other thing. I, my first question to you is: Where did you find this? Do you remember where you found this? This is on CNN. <laughs> this was on CNN. And I missed it. Yeah. Well, it was not a. I clipped this about a week ago, and uh, that deep what, dive. Yeah. So one of the. I'll just finish by saying the doctors. Uh, but it's it's not unheard of for a, a hardier material like an animal bone to make its way down through the body, but um, once it's introduced. But the doctors theorize that the pointy end of the toothpick had ended up right next to one particular branch of nerves in the spinal cord. He might never have known this problem existed had that not happened. But still, I'm, I'm still like you know it's how it got there. You know, it reminds me of that absolutely fabulous episode where Adina goes into the hospital and they for a toe problem and they pull out a acupuncture needle from her toe and she's like that was from my head and you're like what did it spear on the way down right. So the stomach acid, I guess, does not. I would have thought the stomach acid might have chewed this thing up, huh? I no? I would have thought the same. It's wood. I thought that wood yeah. would never survive. I'm guessing it came, maybe it was a piece of sushi or something that was rolled up that that thing was in that he swallowed and didn't realize that the somehow he ate it and chewed it and the toothpick went down and boom, there you go. So that was what caught my eye. Wow. I, and that would have caught my eye, too. I mean, that's that's a pretty good one. Hmm. Well, I can't top that. <laughs> usually, the, uh, usually you do. <laughs> mine today is from. I was uh, as we get older, we always. This is such a stereotype that people say they read the obits, 
And uh, so I was reading the Philadelphia Inquirer, and this one stuck out to me only because I know the family name. So the guy's name is Bernard Spain. And in Philadelphia, there was a whole chain of these Hallmark stores owned by the Spain family, and they'd given an awful lot of money um, with philanthropy to uh, the start of the American Jewish Museum, uh, the Philadelphia Orchestra, some of the schools, and, and they were very, very um, philanthropic within the Philadelphia area. So the family name is well known, and I always thought – Gosh, they made all this money selling cards. I can't believe there was that much money in the Hallmark In the card business. business. <laughs> in the card business. So I, 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 his picture popped up. He passed away last week. He's 86 years old. And I started reading. And the first headline is, although he was a very successful retailer and founded, these popular, um, founded this popular card store chain of Hallmark stores, most popular on the East Coast or the largest on the East Coast, where he really made his money is he and his brother had the copyright for the yellow smiley face. Can you imagine having the copyright for that? So we all know that ubiquitous yellow smiley face. And so he and his brother Murray had sold 50 million of those buttons with the yellow smiley face after obtaining the copyright in 1971. They said, although the original symbol was designed by someone else, he added the slogan, have a happy day, and then copyrighted the revised mark, which he printed and then sold it on pins and countless other products, from posters to pajamas, he then later leased it or gave Walmart permission to use the mark as well. And uh, then it was sold, you know, globally. And uh, his daughter said he was always ahead of the curve. And um, with that additional dollars, he opened up something called Dollar Express and ended up in, uh, in the 90s selling Dollar Express to a group of uh, stores we know as Dollar Tree for $300 million. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. All, an, an empire based on a smile. <laughs> did you did you have one of those buttons? Yeah, sure. I, I thought every kid did. I mean, it's like the, it's it was such a wow, wow. Have a happy day. <laughs> so I just thought it was one of those things because you see people now. You could just imagine if you look at him, he just looks like a regular old yeah. kind of business guy. And you thought, here's this guy wandering around Philly, and you just never know, right? So here's somebody, all this wealth and and no idea. You'd see him walking on the street, knowing that this guy's a you know. $100 million, $200 million, $300 million by doing the uh, little smiley face. Another thing we missed. Another thing we missed. <laughs> Have a happy day. Tim's not happy when he misses something like this, I tell you. Have, Have a, a happy, happy day. day. So, yeah, so, so that was, uh, that's what caught my eye. But I do give the family kudos for uh, for really being philanthropic and um, and giving a lot of the money to uh, to worthy causes, particularly around the Philadelphia area. So, so kudos for them. But, uh yeah, Mr. Spain, he passed away, and uh, that was in his obit. But that, that's I like stuck this. Out to it's a fun. It's a fun face. caught my eye. It's a good one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, hey, many of you know that uh, Deep Discounts, a partner of ours here on the Focus Group, and uh, right now there's a sale going on, and we've talked about this before, but it's a manufactured on-demand sale, and that means that these uh, these are items that may be hard to find, or sometimes could be possibly. Correct me if I'm wrong, John. Maybe sometimes out of print. Sometimes, and they can they can print them on demand. Mm-hmm, if that's correct. If people, yeah. if people want them, and so uh, there's all kinds of great great um, the whole array of different types of of DVDs and uh, and Blu-ray items there. And I I had gone through and uh, found something that just made me smile. But before I share what I found, John, what did you find for your uh, manufactured on demand? You're gonna love this. You're gonna love it. I'm surprised you didn't see it or you saw it and you decide you're going to let me see it it's called um go go crazy 
Oh my God, I did see that. <laughs> Stars head of lettuce. Head of lettuce. Yes. Welcome to Go Go Crazy, a contest where talent and ambition take a backseat to speedos and desperation. Five bold contestants with nothing to lose take to the stage in a gay nightclub for a chance to achieve glory along with a thousand dollar cash prize. And it features um, starring iconic drag comedian Hedda Lettuce, gay adult film star Jake Steele, and some sexy Broadway actors. Go Go Crazy is a hilarious, outrageous mockumentary. So. I saw this and I was like, oh my God, this needs to be seen by me. Because you know, I have a thing about Go Go Boys. So, <laughs> well, I was wondering if this was initially when I saw it, I didn't know whether it was Go Go Boys or Go Go Girls. Just Go Go Crazy. And I think it's Go Go Boys because it's, yeah, you could see that, you know. I was wondering if it was done. Is it, do you think it's done in a, um... well, they say it's a mockumentary. So it's probably like tongue in cheek, total tongue in cheek, right? Comedy. But you like go-go dancers in general, too. You like women like 60s go-go dancers, too. I always laugh mm-hmm. when you like that sort of kitschy oh, know, yeah. white go-go the boots. boots and... Like, you know, Nancy Sinatra kind of thing. Although she wasn't a dancer. But, yeah, so this immediately caught my eye. It's only 12.51. It's manufacturer on demand. Um, came out in 2011, 84 minutes, which is pretty much Tim's like, yeah, it's a perfect time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's what that's what caught my eye. The go-go crazy. It was funny. We had had a lettuce on the show, remember? Mm-hmm. She was on the show. Yeah. She was a great guest. Yeah, one of and it was Christmas a Christmas shows. show, and she wore something that blended into the background, as I recall. Some kind of well, green thing. Well, she wears thing. all green. Right, and we're green screen, right? <laughs> so she wore all green. Yeah. And her wig was picking up different stuff from the background. But I, I understand she's been um, kind of quarantined down in uh, Puerto Vallarta. Ooh, I don't know really? if she's come back yet. She was stuck down there. So I had... Um, I had gone through and I had picked, I remember from back in the day, well, we all remember. So I had picked Ski Bum, the Warren Miller story. And anybody that's um, watched any sort of the wide world of sports or any of those sort of um, ski movies, or not ski movies, but any of the ski footage from any sports things or when you, on Saturdays or Sundays when you would watch downhill skiing and they would use what they call B-roll or any sort of ski footage before you watched any of the Olympic stuff. It probably came from from Warren Miller, and they really credited him. I didn't realize this, but this is a documentary film came out in 2019, and it it really goes through his life um, from the 50s all the way up through um, when he passed away at at uh, 93, and talks about all of the films that he did to really kind of make not only skiing glamorous and sexy and exciting, but also in many ways accessible. And they really think he helped drive the worldwide ski industry, particularly after World War II, when they tried to get people to, to go out and make skiing more of a leisure and Interesting. acceptable. Interesting, um, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of times you would look at that stuff. I mean, some of it is just frightening. I mean, if you see these people going <laughs> off these cliffs and things, right, you would not necessarily <laughs> yeah. think that that's something you're going to do. But um, they really credit him, and uh, and this chronicles all the all the different sorts of footage and how he did it and and um, how he helped change it, change the industry from the 50s up through the, the time of his death. And uh, it did win. It came out in 2019, as I said, and it won the Audience Award for Beyond Feature at the Slam Dance Film Festival. So uh, you could pick that up. Uh, A prize that many, many attain, try to attain, especially from Slam Dance, right? <laughs> yeah. A prize. You get the Slam Dance. So what was the uh, the new release this week? Uh, the new release is a, it's on Criterion, as a matter of fact. And it your is favorite, your favorite studio. One of my favorite labels, yeah. Rolling Thunder Review, a Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese. Uh, taking copious archival footage from Bob Dylan's smaller venue career, re-energizing 1975 tour 
accompanied by Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, Allen Ginsberg, and others, and framing it with sly mockumentary sequences. Here we go with mockumentaries again, featuring the recollections of many who were there. Martin Scorsese delivers an intriguing perspective on the artist and his times. Um, you know, I, we always say if it's Criterion, well, you know, that's kind of like in a gold, that's got kind of like gold standard, right? It's been minted just for us, but it looks like an interesting release. And as I said, it's obviously uh, from Criterion. And it's Martin Scorsese, so how could you deny it, right? <laughs> Are you a Bob Dylan Martin's- fan? Martin Scorsese, who also did, as we talked earlier, the Fran, uh, the Fran Leibowitz. Uh, mm-hmm. Fran he's Leibowitz, in actually. Uh, he's in a lot of the show with her. Like he sits on stage with her. Like it's almost like an interview kind of thing, right? Yeah, you know, Bob Dylan. I, I have an appreciation for him. Didn't he just sell his? He sold his book of work, didn't he? His uh, his body of work for like three hundred million dollars. Millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I was not a huge fan of him considering all that the people that were around him but i do appreciate his i do appreciate his body of work and all the people around that time that were i, I don't know how we would call it was it was a protest rock or folk rock well it was joan joan baez mm-hmm. or a lot of those people that did a lot of that music which certainly was around a very tumultuous time with with our country uh with the vietnam war and all the racial issues that were going on and i think i don't would you call it protest rock I, I think that's you're as close as I'm going to personally get to say, like, I, I think you're right, because it was this time period, you know, it was the Vietnam War, a lot of stuff was going on. And music spoke to a generation, right? And they and they were able to say and do things. So yeah, um, I agree with you. I love some of his work, but I'm not a huge fan. But I but I like looking at movies like this about the individual and about how they made it happen and and obviously some of the talent that's surrounding him and here with the Grateful Dead and everybody, pretty cool. All right, so uh, folks, again, it's the um, manufactured movies and TVs on de- movie and TV shows on demand. That just means when you order it, it's manufactured on demand. Um, it's a really cool thing. Tim picked Ski Bum, the Warren Miller story. I picked Go Go Crazy. <laughs> which features head of lettuce and i i would need i say more and the release this week is rolling thunder review a bob dylan story by martin scorsese so again focusgroupradio.com is where you want to go click on the deep discount logo which is a shark begin your journey on the deep discount website and let them know that tim and john at the focus group sent you we're going to take a really quick break and when we return We have a shop talk and a business birthday for the week. So see you on the other side of the break. You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. The Focus Group, an entertaining look at the outside of business. For your convenience, listen anytime, anywhere, anyway, anyhow, and on anything. Got it? Head over to focusgroupradio.com and pick your poison. We're all business, except when we're not. Hey, welcome back to The Focus Group. Tim Bennett here, as always, with my good friend and co-host, Mr. John T. Nash. How are you, Mr. Nash? Doing good. Doing good. Doing good. Hey, before we get to our shop talk, I have a quick question for you. Have you been, so on Sunday nights now, they brought back one of my favorite game shows. Oh. Who Wants um, to Be a Millionaire? Jane Lynch. Yes, we've been, 
I'm I'm not sure she's as funny as the British woman who used to do the original. You are, you are the Weasling, um, but Jane's well, they, certainly good. They've got good. Jimmy Kimmel doing it now. Oh, do they? That's, yeah, and it's celebrities are doing it now. But I I like the show. And have you? Have, so you obviously you're not watching it a little bit. Not regularly, but I always enjoy the show because it's the closest thing to me that I would say Jeopardy was like. You know, there there is a certain amount of knowledge you have to have. And, you know, I sometimes I scream at the TV like, you should know this. <laughs> have you been watching the the Jeopardy since uh, yes. since they've been trying out the new host? What do you think? Ken Jennings um, did a good job. One of the things I'm most fascinated by watching anybody else but Alex Trebek host Jeopardy is he knew the pace of that show so well that he knew exactly when he could vamp a bit or like if they didn't get the right answer, he'll say, oh, we were looking for the tutors, you know, whatever the, the thing is. Right. But he had a kind of a gentle school marmy way of like, get <laughs> school marmy, of getting in the right answer <laughs> and not being insulting, but just saying, oh, we were looking for, you know, salmon or whatever the, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Ken Jennings did a pretty good job. But again, um, I assume that Alex Trebek's grace with how he did this was just the fact that he knew the show so well the ownership right. of the show right he just knew and he knew how to frame the guests and the contestants correctly so yeah i'll I'll keep watching we're gonna keep watching because yeah. i still like the show well well i, br I bring up the uh well I, I i bring up who wants to be a millionaire because i laughed because our shop talk today um 10 <laughs> british slang terms to uh adapt the next time you travel actually one of the questions on uh, who wants to be a millionaire it was included in this in this shop talk which i think is hilarious so as um th this had popped up on one of my travel blogs that i follow and essentially was saying there people are anticipating we that we'll get to travel again uh someday and um so they brought up that um if when we get to travel overseas and we get to go to uh, europe or to uh to the uk again that um this these were just 10 fun British slang terms that they thought we should adopt the next time we travel. If we went to the UK, we could use and drop in and make us feel like we were locals, or we can use them back here in the States, John, and make you feel like you were a little more worldly. <laughs> or, so, um, or pretentious. <laughs> or or <laughs> pretentious. And I, so I read through one of these, some of these. We're going to share the, the, the 10 of them with you. I just didn't, as a scan before we go through them, did you know any of these before you read through them, or, or, or um, were all these new to you, these 10? I knew about four. Oh, you did. Okay, yeah. so you're you're better than I was. I did not. Um, I knew about two of them. So uh, why don't we start off? What was the uh, What was the first one? The first one was uh, is called it's budge up. Let's let oh let, let's budge up. Um, so it, it refers to um, it says public transportation is a big deal in the UK, especially in the cities. From the tube to double decker buses, black cabs to Ubers, you can find a ride anywhere. But if you can also, but it can get crowded. So if you if you don't take up more space than you don't take up more space than you need, otherwise a fellow passenger may growl at you to budge up. So that that mean that means slide over. That that's what I took from that, right? Slide and budge up, yeah. slide over. So that's the first one. Budge up. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was like, move over. But I, I don't know if we ever say that. If you, so when you get on a subway in New York, do you ever say that to somebody? Budge up. You would never say move over or anything, do you? You just, you just kind of look at someone. They move over. Don't Give they? them the or dirty look, or them. or you stand in front of them with their, you know, sometimes people put a bag on the seat next to them, and you just stand right. there and you stare at the bag until they move it, or they don't move it, and they're like, and you don't want to get into altercation. You don't want to budge up. You don't say budge up in the in the New York City look. subways. <laughs> yeah. 
the second one is um, many of us do this if you're uh, in particular when you were kids, if you wanted to get into the front seat, you would yell, you know, shotgun or you would yell dibs if you wanted to be the uh, in the front seat as a passenger. But in the UK, you yell bagsy. So if a friend picks you up and you want to get into the front, the equivalent of, you know, shotgun or dibs, I get dibs is bagsy. So I never heard of that. <laughs> Neither did I. And I laughed at this thinking. If you're a kid, like the example Bagsy. you just gave, and you just jumped over this scene, Bagsy, like, you know, Bagsy. I just think you'd get a look. Now, this next word, I think we all know. We, uh, You certainly knew this one, right? Yep. All right, it's called twee, T-W-E-E, a quaint little word to accurately describe something quaint and little. <laughs> In the UK, you're likely to see many things that are twee. Houses, shops, lanes, cakes, also twee. Even the word twee is, well, twee. So, um, yeah, oh, what a twee little house. What a twee little bag you have there. So, yeah, it's it's a funny word. I don't think I'd be using that myself. But if, hey, when in Rome, right, yeah, I might surprise a Brit by using the word twee and probably get a raised eyebrow and, oh, you're a medigan. <laughs> twee is a twee little house. It's a twee. It's a twee little, yeah. The um, This one, I when I heard it, I thought one thing, and then when I read what the <laughs> explanation was, I was so it, it, it's not what I so chuffed. Now I initially thought chuffed meant oh I'm you know you're chuffed you're upset about something whatever, but uh, in slang it's actually you're quite happy or you're it's slang for pleased. So if you're chuffed about something, it's actually slang for being pleased or slightly surprised. Um, as in she's chuffed to see a choice between strawberry or blackberry jam. In other words, the person is actually quite happy with their discovery. So they're chuffed about it. But I, I thought it, it sounded to me like being chuffed would be kind of put off or being upset. Didn't you think that when you heard chuffed? I did too. I was I when I read the description, it did surprise me that it meant it was a pleasant surprise for someone. Oh, I'm chuffed. Right. They chuffed. offer two types of tea. I'm chuffed. You know, maybe <laughs> If they, if see, I did it in a very sing-songy kind right. of fake British fun way. But if it was like they only offer, you know, then you would say chuffed might. Be not or I would have chuff off. <laughs> this is when this segment going off the rails. It was really chuffed. Somebody, you know, somebody took us. Somebody took the last muffin. I was really chuffed. So actually, later in the list, they're going to get to the word that I thought chuffed meant. But the next word on is, I think all of us should know this: Tory. You know, that's just it's a term for a conservative political party. And, you know, um, if you're discussing British politics or Brexit with the young liberal people, they may roll their eyes as they describe someone typically posh as a Tory, typically Tory. posh. Oh, yeah, Tory. Yeah. So uh, I was surprised. I was surprised that that word was among this list because to me, it just didn't feel like it belonged in the list. It, but, it, yeah. it's, and it's not like a surprise word. Yeah. Right, like as you yeah. said, you and I, we've heard it before, so it's not, you know. And there, yeah, all right, next one. So the opposite of chuffed is gutted. <laughs> this is the, that's so what that I thought. Chuffed, man. Yeah. <laughs> so when you do feel upset, so Brits could be gutted over their favorite football team losing, or someone calling Bagsy on the last uh, delicious crumpet, or Brexit, for instance. So um, being gutted is when you are quite upset. I was just gutted over that. So I, I get that you were gutted. So like you gut a fish, I guess. So I, you just used the word we learned a moment ago, bagsy, which is also a different way of saying dibs, right? Dibs, right. Calling Someone dibs on something. Bags. So I love the way the article does this referential thing where I actually had to scroll back and figure out what the word bagsy. I was like, oh, did we just learned bagsy. That's dibs. Because I remember mm -hmm. it was the front seat the whole bit. This next one, I think most people should know. They've probably heard it in, in, in TV or movies, knackered. 
K-N-A-C-K-E-R-E-D. After all your touring, you're likely to feel exhausted. When you have to turn down a night at the pub with your new British friends, tell them you're too knackered from exploring. That will fully explain how tired you are. Um, This is a word that I would add to my vocabulary because if it does all that in one thing, if you said, you know, I have to beg off tonight, folks. You know us Americans, the time lag, the whole bit. I'm knackered. Oh, all right. We'll see you in the morning. (laughs) So this was the word that was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. This was the one? Yeah, and so the celebrity was uh, Karamo from Queer Eye, and the other guy Burke, and they didn't know, they didn't know what this was, so they were trying to find the British slang, and just as dumb luck, their phone a friend was a Brit. So oh, like their lifeline, one of their lifelines. So their lifeline, one of their lifelines, with their phone a friend was a Brit. And in typical British fashion, almost missed the 30 seconds of the reading with all the, the language they were putting. It was almost, I know exactly what this is. And I was like, eh. and it was almost like, you know, because you got to get it in in 30 seconds. And um, said it was knackered. And I laughed because I thought, oh, gosh, we're going to be doing this on the on the show on Wednesday. But um, it's funny because now that you say you, you, people should know this. And uh, but, yeah, it was it was um, they, they didn't know what it was. And, I, and quite frankly, I'm not so sure I knew. A hundred percent, I knew what it was. Had not, had I not known the article, and we would be discussing the article. Yeah. So, so you did know this yes. one. Though. This yeah. was I, one of the ones you knew. I've always associated with just with uh, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're begging off. Yeah, you're knackered. So the uh, the other one cheesed off. Yeah, this <laughs> this one, which is which is uh, implies red hot anger. So to me, it was kind of like I guess being pissed off. So, so hopefully, when you're when you're on vacation, you're not going to be cheesed off in Britain. They said even though the weather could be uh, not cooperative, but it's a stronger emotion than gutted. That's what I was, yeah. <laughs> so you're cheesed off. I wonder where that comes from, cheesed off. I don't know, like we would say pissed off, right? And, pissed off, and that's, yeah. the, that's the best you can do is you're cheesed. You know, I'm really cheesed off at you. It doesn't, even, so, it doesn't even sound threatening. Um, I guess that's okay. This next one is called Kip. Um, so KIP still knackered referencing back to feeling exhausted from visiting Stonehenge in the rain. Uh, you want to go, you want to get some sleep or kip so you can hit Buckingham palace, the British museum tomorrow. Kip is also a verb as in don't bother Bert. He's while he's kipping. So this literally means I'm going to kip off. (laughs) I'm going to go to sleep. So it's just kip is. Yeah, yeah get nap, some get some right? sleep. It's a, a nap. nap. Yeah, he's he's kipping. Kip he's off. Kipping Go or take he's a napping. nap. Yeah. <laughs> he's knackered. He's taking a kip. So if you were in, a, he's not cheesed off agent, though, and he's not gutted, but he is taking a kip. He's taking a kip. <laughs> yeah, I'd be can. Uh, yeah, I'd be you can know, if you're listening, there will be a quiz with rewards. No, <laughs> at the end of the broadcast. I mean, it does get kind of confusing between gutted, cheesed off, knackered, twee. <laughs> well, they always say we're, uh, we're, we're, we're two nations that were separated by a common, common language. language. <laughs> so the, and then the final one, the number 10 is legless, which um, when you hear the definition, it makes sense. But we just never say that. It's, it's essentially getting drunk. And uh, the British have many, many words, of course, for getting drunk. But legless is the one. The term ref- uh, refers to the feeling of walking home. After having a few too many pints, those legs don't work as well. And, uh, of course, you've been overserved. So we would say you were drunk or you were 
what uh, you were three sheets to the wind or you're half in the bag or all the thing, different things that we say, but uh, they say you're legless. So I guess you're, you're kind of wobbly. Legless. 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 Uh, well, another, legless. Tra- another strange term that just kind of, you know, like I tipsy. Okay. So, yeah. you know, I get tipsy, you get tipsy, but this legless thing is like, Hmm, <laughs> he was legless. <laughs> he's knackered. He's legless. He's cheesed off, and he's gonna go take a kip. He's kipping. He was, he was knackered. He was gutted. He was legless. Do you know? And if, I tried to take a kip. If we were back in high school, one of our teachers would have definitely forced us to use every phrase we just learned in a three sentence or four sentence paragraph. They would have made it harder by doing it in two sentence. Could you imagine? I think maybe maybe Johnson would have done that to us. Could you imagine a teacher that would have said, "Okay, now that you've got all these." I want you to use them accurately <laughs> in three sentences. I, you, you and I would be sitting there. Hmm, okay, he was gutted. He was knackered. Or incorporate in some sort of ridiculous essay yet to write. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember there was a there was something we had to do. I remember, and this was back. John and I went to high school together. We had to write something, and you had, there was a whole list of vocabulary words. You had to, write you had to incorporate. You had to incorporate all these words. And I remember the one word lament which was like crying or you were upset about something. And I overused yeah. it. And I remember being told I used it wrong. And then I, I used the word um, influsive. I Is this N- a word? Influsive is a word? S-I-V-E. Influsive. Do you know that word? Is it a word? Well, see, that's, I thought so. So I was told it wasn't a word. And well, I there's inclusive. I, I'm looking up influsive. Is that? Is, are you thinking that someone was like, um, well, is it? So the word the word was circled, and uh, Johnson or somebody told me the word did not exist. They said it certainly did. Somebody who was influential was inclusive, <laughs> and and he looked at me. I still remember him looking at me. I like, can remember. Kidding, uh, yeah, right? I said no, no, no. It's inclusive. And um, I remember him laughing or whatever, and I was convinced that there was such a word. And he said, no, that would be influential. I said, well, it should be a word. It's shorter, and it makes more sense to be influsive. So I, I, I don't know why that stuck in my head, but because it's funny because it, you it, were the same way. Is, is influsive a word? And that's what he said. Is influsive a word? I said, yes. He goes, explain it to me. I said, somebody who's very, you know, he, he was always able to get everybody to do what they wanted to do. He was very influsive. He goes, well, that's influential. I said, well, it's influsive. <laughs> We'll leave it at that. I mean, that's... Time, time for the business birthday. <laughs> Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the focus group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. You should have seen your face. If you're watching on the video, is, is that a word? <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking there's no possible way. Then it came up no. with a word. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds a walking dictionary for those of you who don't. That's true. <laughs> So, happy birthday, Julia Morgan. Uh, she was born today, June, uh, June, January 20th, 1872. She died at 85 in 1957. She was an American architect and engineer. She uh, designed more than 700 buildings in California during a, ver- during a very long and prolific career. And uh, she's one of these folks that, um, one of these folks, one of these people that uh, I dug and dug and dug. And um, she had popped up. And I, I was, I was trying to figure out what um, her claim to fame was, and there's not an awful lot personally written about her, and she was very independent and very quiet. 
about her her personal life. And, and, and yet, so some of the buildings you sent as examples for us to put on the video. Right. are not exactly unknown. So I'll, I'll let you continue, but it's, it's surprising you didn't find more generally written about her. Yeah, so she was, um, as I said, she was a very, very private private person. She had no personal life that they have any sort of document on. Um, no romance, no relationships, never married. And they've, they've tried, they said, historians have tried to find out uh, more about her and uh, through relatives and... Um, one of the final things she said before she, before she died was, she said, my buildings will be my legacy. They'll speak for me long after I'm gone. But, um, she, so, but as you said, John, she was very well known for her, for her work. And um, so when she, she graduated high school, she, um, she ended up going to uh, Berkeley. And she was the only woman in many of the engineering uh, math and science classes. And she had a real interest, and obviously she stuck out. This is the late 1800s. They didn't like the fact that she was in these classes, but they didn't know how to handle her. So one of the men, um, one of the professors uh, at Berkeley, had encouraged her to go over to the school, the Beaux-Arts uh, School in France, and they would not accept women. But there were a group of just, feminists. Just to, that, just to hit the pause button, it almost sounds like another planet, right? Like, we're not talking about we're talking about 18, well, she's eight, she's born in 1872. We're probably talking about almost the turn of the century. So you couldn't yeah. be a woman architect or engineer, and the French were like, no, 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 only men. Anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 you're exactly right. So there were a group of French women, they were known as Bohemians. I won't, I won't try to butcher the French. But at the Beaux-Arts School, and they only would accept men. And so she tried three different times to get in to pass the test. And she had, um, so she was viewed as a feminist, and a rabble rouser and so forth. And she ended up the third time she tried, she was 13 out of 360 uh, people. So she, she did that well on the test and they had, they couldn't do anything but let her in. So she was the very first woman accepted to the, uh, to the, I'm not even going to be able to say the name, but it's the Beaux-Arts program. The Academy des Beaux-Arts, Betty. Yeah. Yeah. In La Cruelle Nationale Superior, blah, blah, blah. She will be an inclusive member of our She group. was inclusive. <laughs> so, um, so she gets in there. She comes back to the States and uh, she gets a job in a, uh, an architecture firm in San Francisco. And they put her on some projects working for the master plan for the University of California system to try to develop buildings. And they just they, they say she's going to do some decorative stuff or whatever. And she ends up coming up with this idea. She was an excellent draftsman. And um, they said they really liked using her to do a lot of the work because they could pay her nothing as a woman, essentially. How insulting. I mean, and this was par for the course back then. We look at it yeah. now and we say, oh, that's gross. But all right. So she and she was one of the she was the first woman to obtain an architecture license in California. And she had come up with. So as she was working to do this work um, on the university system, and then she did some work with the Fairmount Hotel through this architectural firm, she had worked on reinforced concrete. So wow. she tried to, she figured out that reinforced concrete could be used in construction, which lo and behold, remember the huge earthquake in San Francisco, her building survived. Uh, and so mm -hmm. during the 1906 San Francisco earthquakes, whatever. And so she kind of became famous. She went out and started her own architecture firm, 1907. And then she had become very famous for her arts and crafts style. She did the Hearst, Castle. Um, Hearst Castle. 
She did a lot of the YMCA buildings, these kind of very Beaux-Arts, very cool YMCA buildings all throughout California and all kinds of other, other works. So she's a real pioneer in architecture, particularly with concrete, the arts and crafts style, um, and very respected architect, and um, not only just as a woman, but as an architect. Anybody who's and, toured uh, um, the Hearst Castle and, and the estate knows that the building is just ornate beyond belief. Uh, Tim included some pictures of the exterior of Hearst Castle. One of the most famous interiors is that blue-tiled interior swimming pool with the gold and yeah. the blue tile. And then there's an external swimming pool or an outdoor one with a, like a Greek and Roman-type temple thing. Amazing work, and I, I'm guessing that a lot of her buildings still survive dotted throughout Southern California, Northern California, right? Yep. Yeah. No, a lot of her properties still stand. She, um, she was to this day, and that's what she said. My buildings will, will speak for themselves. And uh, she was the very first woman to receive the American Institute of Architects Award in 2014. She's won countless awards, um, not only as a female, the first female, but also just as as in architecture. And so she's somebody to be celebrating against somebody probably many people don't know, Julia Morgan. Um, happy birthday. But okay. another another great uh, great business birthday here for us to, uh, to celebrate. To celebrate. kind of wish that the tw- 2014 award that she was given, uh, that she received when she was alive before her death in 1957, that, w- that would have been a very nice affirming thing to say, you know that thing where we weren't going to pay you back in the day? Well, now we're going to reward you, and you did some great work. That's a cool business birthday. I like that one a lot. Well, I figured you would. And, you know, it's it's one of those things. You, you know, I guess you can't imagine. They said, she, you know, she never asked for money. She would never ask, even when she was running low and she had her own firm. She wouldn't ask her family for money. They said she learned how to do it on her own. Mm. And um, she saved her money. She became a very successful businesswoman doing it on her own. Yeah. And um, so she was very independent. And uh, and so there's something to be said Th- for that. This was a very good business birthday, especially for the field of architecture, which I always think of as predominantly male-oriented. Uh, Didn't like, you want to be an architect at one time? Oh, yeah, until the math came into it. <laughs> It was and you inf- realize you didn't get paid as a man either. It was, inf- was going to be an influsive problem for me. I was gutted. I was Am gutted. I going to live this one down? Am I, was- I going to live the influsive thing down? I'm going to go kip for a while. <laughs> Let's go kip. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, we want to thank you for um, joining us here on the Focus Group today. Focusgroupradio.com is the URL for our website. You could find out all about Tim and me. And you can see all our other media there, including Unbuttoned, our Tuesday podcast, about three stories, 20 minutes long. And um, find out about our sponsors and our partners, including Deep Discount. It was the made-to-order special this week. It's a sale they're having. Um, Tim picked the, what was it? Uh, the Ski Bum, the Warren Miller the story. The Warren Miller story. I picked one called Go Go Crazy, because you know I like Go Go Boys, and I'm definitely picking it up. And the release this week was Rolling Thunder, uh, Bob, Rolling Thunder Review, a Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese. So in closing, we want to thank you for subscribing, liking, and rating, and spending time with us. It means a lot to us. And uh, be safe. Don't text and drive. Arrive alive. And mask up. And we'll see you next week. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group. 